This is our last lesson to learn from the early church. Now, this isn't all the lessons that we could learn from the early church. We probably could have spent the next two years on this sermon series. Have you all enjoyed it so far? Praise the Lord. Some of you have. You know that you haven't talked to Tanya. Um, we are just overwhelmed. It's hard to believe it's already been 10 weeks. This is our 10th week, and I believe that God has taught us a lot. And I just want to say, because I don't know if I'll have an opportunity to say it again, it has been my privilege and my honor to be able to spend these last few weeks with you, to break open God's Word with you. Thank you for welcoming me. Thank you for just allowing me this opportunity to do something that I love, and it's been a pleasure to do it. So thank you so much. I want to review a little bit, and we're going to jump right in. Uh, <clears throat> we have learned eight lessons so far, and tonight is our ninth. And I think tonight may be one of those more difficult lessons to learn and to really grab a hold of. Tonight, this is not really a sermon for what I would say an evangelistic sermon. This is a sermon for those that would say, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. The gospel will be in it, but the primary thrust, the primary purpose of this lesson that we will learn tonight will not be for the lost, but it will be for the believer. So if you're here to say, and you say, Ben Taylor, I know that I am a child of God. I know that I'm a believer. I believe the lessons that we will learn tonight are specifically for you. But let's just run through our lessons that we've learned so far. Lesson one, God is faithful to fulfill His promises. Lesson two, the Holy Spirit empowers humanity to accomplish the work of God. Lesson three, a God-centered community is unified. Lesson four, the message that can stand trial. Lesson five, a bold faith will experience suffering. That is not a fun lesson to learn at all, but it is something that is so true. Lesson six, an encounter with God transforms. Lesson seven, the gospel of the kingdom. Lesson eight, faithful churches preserve right teaching. And tonight, our final lesson will be this. Christ calls His followers into gospel ministry. Christ calls His followers into gospel ministry. When we think about that, so many times we brush that thought aside because you know maybe, hey, I'm not supposed to be working for the church or a missionary or this or that. But I hope tonight that you will see that if you call yourself a child of God, you have been called into the gospel ministry. I want to start off tonight with just a story about a couple, John and Betty Stom. God called them to serve in China during the Great Depression of the 1930s. John graduated from Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, and during his graduation speech, he encouraged his classmates and this is what he encouraged them with. Now, get the context of this. The Great Depression, this is right after the crash of 1929, 
where everything is going crazy in the economy, money is scarce, resources are scarce, and listen to what John tells his, his classmates. Shall we beat a retreat and turn back from our high calling in Christ Jesus? Or dare we advance at God's command in the face of the impossible? Let us remind ourselves that the Great Commission was never qualified by clauses calling for advance only if funds were plentiful and there is no hardship or self-denial involved. On the contrary, we are told to expect tribulation and even persecution, but with victory in Christ. He graduated from Moody and he went to the field there. He met his wife. Betty, who was already there, and they were married, and they gave birth to a baby girl in 1934 whose name was Helen. And in November of that year, they moved to a new post where they thought it would be relatively safe, um, but unfortunately, that was not the case. Uh, there was unrest, and they were taken in to custody, and the individuals that took them and kidnapped them were asking for ransom. And I want to read a letter. He worked with what's known as the China Inland Mission. That was their sending organization. And they wrote, he wrote this letter to them in response to his kidnapping and the demands that were being made. He says, My wife, baby, and myself are today in the hands of the communists in the city of Stingte. They demand, their demand is $20,000 for our release. Now imagine $20,000 in the early 1930s. All of our possessions and stores are in their hands, but we praise God in, the hearts, in, in our hearts and a meal tonight. For grant, God grant you wisdom in what you do and us fortitude, courage, and peace of heart. He is able and a wonderful friend in such a time. Things happened so quickly this morning. They were in the city just a few hours after the ever-persistent rumors really became alarming so that we could not prepare to leave in time. We were just too late. The Lord bless and guide you. And as for us, may God be glorified, whether by life or by death. In his, John. They would later be publicly ridiculed and killed for everyone in the town to see. Somehow, some way, a week later, their baby Helen would be delivered to another missionary family some hundred miles away. Now, I want you to get this because we're navigating this, this truth that Christ calls his followers into gospel ministry. And upon the, st the Stom sacrifice, it inspired many young people to dedicate their lives to missions. And 1935 saw the greatest amount of money come into the mission since the stock market crash of 1929. Betty and John Stom dedicated their lives to the Lord and paid the ultimate price. In his speech, John used two words that are of the utmost importance to the Christian life. He said, shall we retreat and turn back from our high calling in Christ Jesus? 
Or dare we advance at God's command in the face of the impossible? See, God's command and His calling are two aspects of the Christian life that each believer must consider on their journey with Christ. These missionaries paid the ultimate price. And if you listen to the end of that letter, they said, God's will be done whether in life or in death. See, tonight, I just want you to rest in the fact that you are called. Now, your calling may not be like John and Becky's, Betty's. It may be different. But you need to realize that you are called. Now, he says in his quote to his classmates, do we turn back from our high calling in Christ Jesus or dare we advance at God's command? I want to look at, before we even jump into the passage, I want to look at this idea of a command. What is a command? Webster's Dictionary defines it pretty simply. It's like this. A command is an order given, an instruction, normally by someone in authority. Now see, let's talk about the commandments of God. See, as believers, we absolutely have no choice when it comes to obeying the commands of God. They are given to us for us to follow. Who is our authority? God. You have given Him and placed Him in the utmost position of your life. If you were a follower of Jesus Christ, you have said, I want you to be my Savior and my Lord. That word Lord can be translated master. As in, I am your servant, your slave. When you say Jesus Christ is Lord, you are giving Him full authority over your life. And as such, you must follow His commands. We don't get a choice. If we are going to dedicate our lives to the Lord, we must be willing to first obey the commands of God. And I could spend the rest of the night talking about commands of Christ just from the book of Matthew. I just want to talk about three commandments that we hear Christ talk about. First, we have the greatest commandments. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 35 and following, it says, And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, body, strength. You see that in different ways. And then love your neighbor as you love yourself. All the other commandments depend on those two. Fast forward to Matthew 28 and we see the Great Commission. And within the Great Commission is a command. And Jesus came up to them and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit 
teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. See, with this in mind, we must realize that obedience is a true mark of a follower of Christ. Obedience to the commands of Christ is a mark of your faithfulness to Christ. So young adults, I want you to just think about it tonight. Do you obey the commands of Christ? Do you obey the commandments that have been listed out plainly to us? Do you love Him with everything that you are? Do you love other people, even the people that are difficult to love? Right? You can't choose your family, but you can choose your friends, right? How many of you are getting ready to spend time with family that sometimes they may be a little more difficult to love in and around the Thanksgiving time? Okay, y'all, thank y'all for being real. Like, yeah, it happened, right? There's individuals that we struggle with. But somehow, some way, God commands us to love them as we love ourselves. That most annoying uncle or cousin or aunt or whatever, or mother or father, sometimes it's going to be those two. <laughs> he says, I need to love them. You are commanded to love them as you love yourself. Do you follow those commands? See, that's a part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. In John 14, 21, Jesus says, He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Now, this leads us to a very important truth that I want you to write down tonight. Every Christian must underline, circle, whatever you need to do to highlight, must pursue and follow the commandments of God. But each person's calling will look different. Remember the truth that we're trying to, to, to learn tonight. Christ calls His followers into gospel ministry you don't have a choice on following the commands of christ but your calling will look different and i believe that every believer every follower of jesus christ every disciple is called to gospel ministry now remember we said a command is an order it's an order given an instruction but what is a calling a calling is a strong inner impulse toward a particular course of action, especially when accompanied by conviction of divine influence. Now that's just straight from Webster's Dictionary. But listen to it. It's a strong inner impulse toward a particular course of action, especially when accompanied by conviction of divine influence. Many times we use the word calling when it comes to your pursuit or what you want to do with your life. And what I want you to do is to check yourself tonight and ask yourself the question, is my calling that which I have been, and been pursuing, is it from God? 
See, most of you in here tonight would say that there's something inside of you pushing you towards a particular course of action. You've been to college or you've got a job or you're working or whatever it is. There's something inside of you that's moving you to a particular course of action. So I want you to think about what is your motivation? What is your motivation for that which you are pursuing, for that which you are driven toward? Is it by your personal ambition or is it by the power of the Holy Spirit? Are you driven by your personal ambition or by the power of the Holy Spirit? And tonight I want to help you answer that question. My prayer tonight is that God will reveal to you the calling He has placed on your life and that you will begin to pursue it in a real way. That's my prayer for tonight. See, when you read stories about the storms, it's like, wow. And then there's automatically this immediate response, that could never be me. I dare say that that could be some of you in this room. That you forsake everything to pursue that which God has given you to go, for which He has called you to. But I will say that your call will be different. And we're going to look at the life of Paul. We're, we were in Acts chapter 15 last week. Now we're going all the way to Acts chapter 26, which is a long way away from Acts chapter 15. And the expository preacher in me hates that. Because we need to do 16 and 17 and following, but Tanya wouldn't let me. So we're just going to blame her. <laughs> but what we're going to look at from Acts chapter 26 is we're going to examine the life of Paul and the call, his call to serve the Lord. And we're going to learn four truths about your calling from God. Remember, your calling will always connect to your purpose and the purpose of every believer is to glorify God and to extend His kingdom. So whatever you feel like you're called to, it needs to be a part of God's plan. It needs to bring Him glory. It needs to extend His kingdom. And see, that scares some of us because we sometimes think, I'm just a young adult trying to figure life out. I can't have anything to do with God's kingdom. And I would argue, no, you are the most positioned to do great and wonderful things for the kingdom of God. Think about it. God wants to use you. Wants to use you to extend His kingdom and to bring Him glory. And I think tonight you will be encouraged by these truths that we're going to learn about your calling from the life of Paul. Paul fulfilled that purpose. The book of Acts is coming to a close and now Paul is in the custody of the Roman Empire. He was arrested in chapter 21 and he stated his case before a council. When he was arrested, he went through all this stuff and he says, basically, he ends up, when it all is said and done, he wants to go before Caesar and there's a process before that happens. And so he stated his case before the Jewish leaders, then to Felix the governor, and now in chapter 26, he is before King Agrippa. It is in this defense that Paul gives his testimony and we learn 
about the calling of God on someone's life. He begins by describing his zeal for the law and how he persecuted Christians with the approval of the chief priests and then moves on to the Damascus Road encounter with God that we talked about a few weeks ago. The first truth that you need to learn about your call, it's real simple. Your call, your calling is personal. And if you don't want to write down the word your on any of these, I would prefer you write down the word my. My calling is personal. I want to get up all in your business tonight. I want you to think about your life in such a way that you have never thought about it before. Because you need to wrestle in the truth that God has called you for something that is bigger than yourself. So you need to say to yourself tonight, my calling is personal. Look at Acts chapter 26, starting in verse 12. We're, right, we're jumping right in the middle of Paul's defense. <clears throat> he says, while so, I was, while so engaged, I was journeying to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest at midday, O king, I saw the, uh, on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining all around me and those who were journeying with me. And when we had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in, a, in the Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. Now remember, our lesson that we learned, the, an encounter with God transforms, going back to, to lesson number seven or lesson number six, that's the lesson that we learned on the Damascus Road, that an encounter with God transforms. You learned that an encounter with God transforms you. Now fast forward years and we see him giving that same testimony. Paul's calling was personal. Jesus used Saul's name. He's on the road to Damascus. He blinds him with a light. And then he makes it very specific. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It was personal. Think about your name. Parker, Clinton, Amanda, Joel, Brittany. Think about your name. I could go on and on. Your calling is personal. God is calling you personally because He has more for you than you could ever dream, think, or imagine. And many of you are wanting to settle for the American dream. The American dream and the gospel of Jesus Christ are against one another. Now, I'm not saying you have to be poor. I'm not saying that you need to sell everything and do all those different things. But I'm going to tell you, at some point in your life, the American dream that you're pursuing will come in conflict with the gospel of Jesus Christ because they don't work. God is calling you. He's calling you. And He's calling your name. And what I love is Jesus met Saul right where he was at. 
lost and undone, angry, motivated to kill those, to imprison those that were a part of the church. And God was willing to meet him right where he was at on the road to Damascus. Young adults, I want you to know tonight that God wants to meet you exactly where you're at. In the middle of your pursuit of whatever you're pursuing, He wants to meet you where you're at and He wants to make sure that you are fulfilling His call on your life. Think about it. Whatever you're doing right now, God can meet you right where you're at. If you're here tonight and you would say, Ben, I do not have a relationship with Christ. I am not a follower, so this lesson is not for me. He can meet you just like he met Saul on the road to Damascus and save your soul and call you to more. You could be the next Paul. You could be the next whatever. You could be the next John and Betty Stomp. Even if you're sitting in this room and you're lost tonight. Because God's call is personal. Think about it. He met Paul where he is, where he is at and He will meet you exactly where He is at. You need to understand that your calling is personal. The second truth I want us to learn tonight is this. Your calling is distinct. Your calling is distinct. Now, y'all are writing down your. Don't do it. Write down my. My calling is distinct. Think about it. Why do, we, why do I use the word distinct? Because your calling is your calling. Look at verses 15 through 18 with me. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But get up and stand on your feet for this purpose. I have appeared to you to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things which I will appear to you, rescuing you from the Jewish people and from all rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light from the dominion of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. A specific purpose. Paul's calling was distinct. Saul's calling was distinct. He had a specific purpose. What? He says, because I want you to be a minister and a witness not only to the things that you have seen, but those which I will appear to you and for a specific purpose. What was that purpose? To go to the Gentiles. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness and light from the dominion of Satan to God. He had a purpose to bring people to Christ. And I love this. This job was designed for Paul. Or another way to look at it, Paul was designed for this purpose. He had the education. He had the birthright. See, he was Jewish, yes. But he was also Roman. So he knew how to go between both worlds. He knew how to go in between the cultures of the Jews and the cultures of the Romans. And he used it to his advantage. He had multiple languages underneath his belt. He had what he needed to fulfill this call. 
this call was designed for him and he was designed for this call. You need to think about yourself in this way. God has a purpose that you are uniquely designed for. He has a call that you are uniquely designed for. Or another way to say it is you have been designed for a distinct call. Have you ever thought about that? That when you were formed in your mother's womb, that he saw you. And he saw the calling that he was going to place on your life. He designed you specifically for a call, a distinct call that only you can fulfill. And if you don't fulfill it, what does that mean for the kingdom of God? I don't know. But it means something. It means something. This verse, this passage of Scripture right here was the passage of Scripture that God used to confirm to me that He was calling me into full-time ministry. I can't remember if I've shared my story with you, but I'll share just a little bit of it. Went to college, got a degree in chemistry with a minor in biology. I was a youth director at my church. I was 19 years old and I was leading youth. I was like, what was this church thinking, right? I had no business doing it. I knew God had called me into medicine. I knew God was calling me to, to, to serve people through medicine. And I told him, God, I'll do medical missions. I just feel I was good at science. How many people go get a degree in chemistry, right? It's just, no, it's just not normal. It's like an engineer, right? Who does that? Weird people. I'm just talking to you. Think about it. But God used a whole lot of circumstances. And I was at a funeral of all places. A funeral was my Damascus Road experience where I felt the call of God louder and more audible than if He was in front of my face screaming at me. That inner compulsion that I talked about was there. And I go home and I talked to my wife who thought she was marrying a medical, a future medical doctor. And I asked her, what would you think about being a pastor's wife? And she tells me that's exactly what I think we're supposed to do. And then we are going through a devotion, my utmost for his highest by Oswald Chambers. And the day that we were studying, this scripture comes up. Acts chapter 26, verse 16, but get up and stand on your feet. For this purpose, I have appeared to you to appoint you a what? A minister. And I'm like, God, that's all I need. You confirmed it through my wife. You've confirmed it through your word. That was in 2006. We quit our jobs. We moved to Memphis in August of 2006. We had enough money to make it a month I was dumb. Don't do that. I would give a whole lot better advice. But get this. My first job at Bellevue was in the bookstore because I just had to get a job that would work with my seminary schedule so I could pay the bills and go to school. And that opened the door. And then how many ever years later, do the math, 23 minus 6, 17. 
I'm the lead missions pastor, doing something that I never thought I would be doing. Didn't know jobs like this existed. But God used this passage to make my calling distinct. That see, he was calling me. Young adults, he's not going to call every single one of you into full-time gospel ministry. But that does not mean that you are not a full-time gospel minister as you live out your faith wherever he has you. Think about that. More on that to come. Your calling is distinct. If you go back to Acts chapter 9, in verses 13 through 15, I won't read all of that, but verse 15 says, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine. God chose him. He chose him. And he, he says, To bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him he must suffer much for my name's sake. Your calling is distinct. Third truth that I need you to learn tonight about your calling is that your calling is challenging, will be challenging. Your calling will be challenging. Listen to what he says in verse 19. So King Agrippa, I did prove disobedient to the heavenly, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision, but kept declaring both to those of Damascus first and also at Jerusalem and then throughout all the region of Judea and even to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to perform and turn to God performing deeds appropriate to repentance for this reason reason some Jews seized me in the temple and tried me and tried to put me to death your calling will be challenging Paul's calling started out with Jesus telling him, you are going to suffer. In his testimony before King Agrippa, he talks to him, for this reason, because I did what God called me to do, because I fulfilled the will of my master, some Jews arrested me and put me on trial and tried to kill me. And all he was doing was being faithful to the one who called him. We see in 2 Corinthians 11 verses 21 and following a little bit of what that journey looked like. I would encourage you to read verses 21 through 29. I'm going to start in uh, verse 23 for the sake of time. It says, Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so in far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received the Jews' 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst often without food, in cold and exposure, apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure of me, on me, of the concern for all the churches. Who, who is weak without me being weak, and who is led into sin without my intense 
concern. Listen to that testimony. His calling was challenging. John and Betty Stom's calling cost them their life. Paul ultimately would be beheaded because of what God had called him to do. You need to understand that your calling will be challenging. It will be different. The challenges you face will be different. We don't compare. We just need to be, we don't compare our challenges with other people's challenges, but we need to be prepared for those challenges when they come. If you're going to give your life to Christ, you need to know that it will come with a cost. Count the cost of following Jesus Christ. Your calling will be challenging. And the last truth I want us to, to know tonight and learn tonight is this. Your calling must be gospel-centered. Starting in Acts 26, verse 22 so having obtained help from God, I stand to this day testifying both to small and great, stating nothing but what the prophets and Moses said was going to take place, that the Christ was to suffer, and by that reason of His resurrection from the dead, He would be the first to proclaim light both to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Your calling... Your calling must be gospel-centered. I love what he says here. He says, I stand to this day testifying both to small or small and great. I don't care who I'm talking to. I don't care how big my platform is. I don't care how small my platform is. I am going to do that which God has called me to do. That's what he did. And then what does he say? Stating nothing. Nothing. But what the prophets and Moses said was going to take place. That Christ was to suffer. And by that reason of his resurrection from the dead. That he was the first to proclaim light to both the Jewish people and then the Gentiles. The gospel according to Paul is the death, the burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what he proclaimed. That's what he did every day of his life. Our calling must be gospel-centered. Now, I want you to think about this. Your calling is personal. Your calling is distinct. Your calling will be challenging. And your calling must be gospel-centered. Now, the lesson that we are learning tonight is this. Christ calls His followers into gospel ministry. This is a very simplistic sermon. We read the passage, I gave you a point, and we explained it, and now what do we do with this? Young adults, the majority of you, when I said that you're called into gospel ministry, started to tune me out. Because in your mind, gospel ministry is this, what I'm doing. Somebody that stands up and preaches. Or a missionary like the Stoms who gave their life in China in 1934. Or some church staff member or or some other professional Christian, that's the gospel ministry. Young adults, 
If the kingdom of God was dependent upon professional Christians, we would be miserable. It would fail miserably. The gospel ministry, the kingdom of God, has been held up for centuries on the shoulders of regular people who think that, I just love Jesus. You don't need to be on the platform to have a gospel ministry. You don't have to be paid by a church or some organization to have a gospel ministry. Stop believing that lie. Young adults, please listen to me. God has called you for something that is bigger than you. What is it? Is it to go to work? To go home? To make some money? To find a husband? To find a wife? To have some kids? Then to go to work some more? Then to go to home some more? Is that a part of life? Absolutely. But when you put a gospel ministry in the midst of it, all of those things become so much more meaningful. If you begin to hold on to your gospel ministry and live your life in such a way that, hey, I'm going to work today and I'm going to engage in gospel ministry. Hey, I'm going home today. And I'm going to engage in gospel ministry. Hey, I'm going to find a spouse today and engage in gospel ministry. Whatever it is. Engaging in gospel ministry. What is it that God has uniquely designed to you? For you. Your call into gospel ministry does not mean that you have to be a missionary, a pastor, or a staff member of a church. Your call. I want you to write this down. This isn't on the screen. I apologize. This came to me in my last, as I looked it over. Your call is this. It is the what, it is the when, and it is the where God has placed you to faithfully live out the commands of Christ. I'm going to say it again. I know that's a lot. But I want you to get this. Your call is the, the what, the when, the where God has placed you to faithfully live out the commands of Christ. Y'all need it again? Your call is the what, the when, and the where God has placed you to faithfully live out the commands of Christ. What I love about a calling is that it is uniquely distinct and designed for you to live out the, the Christian life, the disciple's life, wherever God has placed you. You've heard me say, engage in the missionary task right where you're at. Some of you are called into the marketplace that you know your spot in your office doing what you do, you know that you were made to do that. And you get life when you're doing what God has created you to do. 
and you love it. Now, doing what God has created you to do, make it your gospel ministry. And what that means is that you understand that God has uniquely designed you to be where you are right then and there to make an impact for the kingdom of God. To share the gospel. To talk to people. To be a listening ear. To have an answer when they have a question. I'm not telling you to, to change careers. I'm not telling you to change your career. I'm not telling you to go to the mission field, but if you want to, I can help you with that. I'm not calling you to go to seminary. I'm not telling you to do any of that. All I am doing tonight is calling you to more and it's to live out what God has created you to do. He's created you for a specific purpose to reach the people that you have contact with that I don't so that they can in turn come to know Christ and start living out their calling. Young adults, what would it look like if this small group of people started living out their faith, started fulfilling the call that God has placed on their life, right where you're at, you would transform your workplace. You would transform where you go to school. You would transform your everyday life if you just started living out the ministry God has called you to. You are commanded to go. You are commanded to love God with all your heart, mind, and strength. You are commanded to love your neighbors as you love yourself. Those are commands. Now live out those commands in what God has called you to do. Your vocation is not your identity. Your vocation is the platform that God has given you to extend His kingdom right where you're at. How many of you are at church on Sunday? All right. Pastor, in the 11 o'clock service, he said, he, said, he talk, started talking about Billy Graham, and he said this. He said, man, we need another Billy Graham. And I wholeheartedly agree. And I think I have a room full of Billy Grahams right now. And you're like, Ben, No. <laughs> I've seen Billy Graham. I've seen how many people he packed into a stadium. That's not me. Boiled down Billy Graham to what he was. He was a man who knew exactly what God had called him to do and utilized every ounce of his being to use his platform for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, we have a room full of young adults that if they began to realize and fully live out the calling that God has called them to do for the gospel of Jesus Christ, you would transform the area of the world that God has placed you. Is that awesome to think about? So just go, around, hey, I'm, I'm the next Billy Graham. Here. Right here. Where do you work, Parker? Nikiso. Nikiso. Of course, it's going to be something hard to say, right? <laughs> Parker works at Nikiso. And what if Parker just decides, hey, today, I'm going to be the Billy Graham of Nikiso. I'm going to make sure that everybody at Nikiso knows that Jesus Christ is Lord and that He is the only answer to their problems, that He is the only thing that will fulfill them, that He is the only way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by Him. And then we see the kingdom come at Nikiso. What would happen? 
what would happen? Isn't that awesome to think about? Now just insert your workplace. Insert your area of influence. That would change the world. See, we believe a lie as believers that it's up to the professional Christians to do the job of an evangelist, to do the job of a disciple maker. It's wrong. It's a lie. Man, young adults, what I have experienced over this last semester are people that are living out their faith. When people come into this room and you don't know them, you welcome them. If you find out that somebody doesn't, might not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you find a way to engage them with the gospel of Jesus Christ in a meaningful way. If you see somebody that needs to be discipled to grow in their faith, you try to find a way to get them into a discipleship group or whatever their next step is. There's intentionality in that. I have been so blessed by seeing what you are doing on a weekly basis on Wednesdays. Some of you are living it out at your workplace. Some of you are not. You need to know and understand that God is calling you. God is calling you to more. Your calling is personal. It's distinct. It will be challenging and it must be gospel-centered. Is God calling you to more? More of Himself. More of living out your faith wherever He has placed you. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. And we're going to close this out. This has been just a message of my heart and soul because I wholeheartedly believe that we have got to reevaluate what the word calling means. And we have got to understand that every believer is called. 